I was eating Doritos this week, and she made a comment about my shape. Um, I said, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm in shape. Round's a shape, right? Anyway, I was eating Doritos, and then I found out that it had uniquely something to do with this message this morning. Because on the back is a new thing. So you should all go and get Doritos today. There's a new thing on the backs of them. It says, Doritos recognizes those who do something. And it talks about Kirsten Erickson, age 25, from California. While working in a refugee camp in Botswana, Kirsten was disturbed to see how refugees and victims of war were treated. She saw things differently. She believed that refugees can be important agents of change that can break the cycle of war and poverty in Africa. Kirsten created Forge the empower, to empower Africans. That's the organization she, she uh, founded called Forge to empower Africans in exile to rebuild their native communities. They started over 60 communities, developed project, projects that serve more than 60,000 refugees in five countries in Africa. That's what you get when you eat Doritos. Okay. Again, just another example of seeing a need and having the passion to do something about it and the determination to do something about it. And I just find something uniquely attractive about people like that, that, that have such a passion and, and gather people around themselves and people are attracted to it and, and follow. That's, that's another mark of a, of a leader is that people actually follow. I'm sure all of you have seen some of these great inspirational movies about great leaders, you know, whether that is um, The Gladiator or Braveheart or, of course, The Office, okay? Uh, Mike Scott, the ultimate leader. Any Office fans here? Yes? All right. He's an example, not a good one. But when we see great leadership, at least I feel like I just want to fall in line and say, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this together. But not only have we probably all watched movies about great leadership, sure we all have experienced leadership in some way or form. Maybe you've experienced some really great and inspiring leadership in your life where you have just felt, like I just said, where you just wanted to fall in line and follow and, and, and you know, meet that need and, and, and follow that cause and that vision. And then others have maybe experienced or are at the moment experiencing Negative leadership experience. Maybe you have to serve or work under somebody who isn't really competent, where you think, well, I, I could really do that better, until you get that job and realize it's a little harder than you thought. But, but I have found there's very few things more frustrating than working under a leader who doesn't lead or, or maybe isn't qualified to lead or is overwhelmed by the task. It's a really frustrating thing. But I think one thing we can all agree on is that leadership is extremely important. Because without leadership, very, very little gets done. And that's true for the outside world, and that's true for the church. Leadership is extremely important. And I, this isn't in my notes, and I hadn't really planned on saying it, but I'll say it anyway. Dave won't like it, but he doesn't need to know. I, um, I've, I've um, well, he will know, he'll probably listen to this, but um, I've worked under, under multiple leaders. And my observation has been that leaders either have great vision and they see a task and this is what they're going for and there's great strength in that. And then I've encountered leaders that were great with people, great in, in knowing the needs of their people and coming along to very relational but up until Dave, I've never seen that come together. 
And that makes him a great leader. And that's what, what makes us as, as rest of the staff want to follow the vision that God has given him. So there it is. So we want to talk about that this morning, our fourth, fourth initiative of walking ahead, the importance of leadership and what the Bible has to say about leadership. And of course, especially about leadership in the church. And if we want to move forward as a church, if we want to grow, if we want to reach more people out there, if we want to touch more lives, and if we want to meet the challenges that, that we'll, we will meet as a church, I can tell you one thing. We will need more of you to step up into leadership. That's what it's going to take. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And of course, on this first Sunday after last Tuesday, we can't talk about leadership and not talk about Barak, right? But not that Barak. There's a Barak in the Bible. Did you know that? In Judges. And that's the Barak we're going to talk about. He doesn't have a last name, so we'll just call him Barak the rest of the day. Well, that's what he was called. And we meet him in Judges chapter 4 and 5. And we, we don't hear, really, hear about him before that. He's mentioned a couple of times later in the New Testament, but it always refers back to this incident in Judges 4 and 5. And the verse that, that I want to use as the anchor this morning is in Judges chapter 5, verse 2. And this is actually Barak singing a song. Um, together with a lady called Deborah, who was um, the judge over Israel at the time. They didn't have kings leading them at the time. They had judges. And here's a female judge, which is very unusual um, for the time. But they had a female judge called Deborah, and her and Barak sing a song in response to what happened in chapter 4. And I will tell you in a second what happened in chapter 4. But this is how they started this song. In chapter 5, verse 2, it says, When the leaders in Israel take the lead... And when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. When the leaders in Israel take the lead and when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Now, I want to give you background. Why are they saying this? In chapter 4, we find Israel oppressed by a canine king. Canine, not canine. <laughs> we just got a puppy. I'm a little preoccupied. Um, by a Canaanite king called Jabin of Hazor. And there's an interesting dynamic in the history of Israel. Whenever they were walking close with God, when they had godly leaders and the people were following God, they lived at peace with the people around them. But you know what happens to a country in peace and prosperity? They stop caring about God. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> um, so whenever Israel stopped caring about God, God cared so much about them coming back close to him that he allowed hardship in, in the history of Israel. And again here, he allowed them to be occupied, to be, to be conquered by this king. And, um, and it says here in chapter 5 that they were harshly oppressed for 20 years. And to describe this king's strength and military strength, he's described as having 900 iron chariots. Uh, today, okay, great for you, 900 iron chariots. But at the time, that was a, a, a symbol and a sign of great military strength. 900 iron chariots, and he oppressed Israel for 20 years, and the people started doing what? They started crying out to God. Say, God, why, do you, why are you doing this? And free us. And he hears their call, and he talks to Deborah. See, Deborah wasn't just a judge. She was also a prophetess. 
And so he would communicate directly through her to his people in Israel. And he told her, I want you to go and get Barak. Barak who? Barak. He lives over there in that tribe. And come get him and tell him to gather an army of 10,000 people. 10,000 people? Against that dude? That didn't sound quite enough. But anyway, God said, go get Barak. So she goes and gets Barak and brings him and says, Barak, God wants you to go back to your tribe and gather an army of 10,000 people. And he wants you to take on King Jabin and free Israel. Now, as far as I know, I've, I've looked and studied. I don't find Barak anywhere before this passage. He wasn't a military leader. He was just some dude at home. I don't know what he did, whether he you know, had sheep or made tents. Or I, I have no idea. But he was not, as far as I can tell, a military leader. And so here she summons him and says, Hey, God wants you to get 10,000 people and go fight King Jabin. Odd. How would we respond to that? Well, this is what he says. In chapter f- uh, 4, sorry, when she tells him this, he says in verse 8, he says, I will go if you, Deborah, go with me. So God calls him, puts a distinct call on his life, and he says, I will go if, if you go with me, Deborah. Otherwise, if you don't, I won't go. And there's all kinds of theories about this. First of all, I think we've got to command him for saying, I will go. I mean, he has no background in this. Totally out of the blue, he's called to do this. Dangerous task. And he says, I will go. But if you go, some people say, oh, he was just whining. Oh, Deborah, only if you come with me. You know, a woman of all people. But no. I actually think he's later mentioned as a hero of faith in the New Testament. So it can't have been all bad. Although she does say later on, says, okay, I will go with you, but because you made this condition, the honor for this will not go to you, it will go to a woman. And it actually didn't go to her, it's another gory story later on. But, so there is, there is a, a negative effect of him asking her to come, but he does say, I will go. And she goes with him. I, a lot of people that have studied this and, and what I've read say, maybe, you know, maybe he just felt he needed her with him because she was the one that God communicated to directly. Maybe it was his desire to make sure God is close by. I don't know. But he does say, I will go. So the first thing I really want to narrow in here is that leaders, especially, obviously, leaders within the church, within the body of Christ, leaders are called by God. Just like Barak here was clearly called by God to do what he was supposed to do, so are leaders in the church. It's not about us, you know, saying, well, well I can do this and mustering up the, the braveness to, to go do this and putting ourselves into a position. It is, it is God calling us. It is God laying it on your heart. And one thing that strikes me about that in the Bible is that God almost all the time calls very unlikely leaders. Have you noticed that? I mean, Barak, not a military guy as far as we can tell. I don't, well, he is, he's supposed to lead an army of 10,000 people out of the blue. You think of King David. You know, when, when um, King David in the Old Testament was, was anointed as king, there was a prophet, Nathaniel. He was told by God, go to this and that family and find, find the next king. 
So he went there thinking, well, it's got to be the oldest son. This guy had 12 sons. So Jesse was his name, had 12 sons. And Nathaniel comes and he looks for the biggest, strongest, oldest boy. And he's about ready to anoint him. And God says, no, nah, stop, not him. He says, okay, second boy. He goes through the whole line of sons until, he, until they have to go and get the youngest who's, who's um, tending to the sheep on the field. And they bring him, the most unlikely of all the candidates became king of Israel. Same with the disciples. I mean, who did Jesus choose to lead the church after he would leave? It was a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors. And if you, if you know the story about the disciples after Jesus had gone back to heaven and they're hiding in a room in Jerusalem, they're scared to death to go out in public. And yet those were the guys that Jesus said about, on, on you, Peter, I will build my church. Very unlikely characters. And the same is true for God today. He chooses very unlikely people. And maybe that's you. Maybe in your eyes, you're the most unlikely of leaders in the church. But maybe you're the one that God is looking at saying, yeah, you're next. And then he picks leaders that, that, that then argue about it and have reservations. Like Barak, you say, yes, but only if. But he says yes. And then Moses, if you know the story of Moses, he was called to lead the people of Israel out of oppression in, in, in Egypt. And he had a questionable background also. And, and then when God calls him, he has all kinds of excuses. I mean, for goodness sakes, there's a bush that's burning, but it's not burning up. That'd be a good sign that God showed up, you know? I mean, it's something supernatural is happening, and he knows God is talking to him, and he's making all these excuses. Oh, I can't do that. And, yeah, what about this, and, and what about that? And, and God always answers, well, this is how we're going to do it, and this is how it's going to be. And then he goes, uh, but God, I, I stutter. How am I going to lead the people? And God says, ah, oh, forget about that. I forget that. Yeah, you stutter. Ah, your brother doesn't. He'll speak for you. And so the most unlikely of people, but God uses them in spite of their weakness. Do you know what's the beauty about the fact that God calls leaders, that we don't have to maneuver our way into it? The beauty about it is that, that if God chooses you, well, then it's on him, right? Then it's his business and it's his responsibility of what happens and what he's going to do through you. So it leads to great freedom, I think, to know, okay, all right, God, if you insist, I'll do it. But it's going to have to be you. There's great freedom in that. And then there should be great humility in that. Because whatever does happen is not on you. It's on God. In Hebrews 11.32, it mentions Barak again. It mentions the fact that he was faithful to God's calling. And then it mentions him along actually with Moses and, and, and other Old Testament heroes of faith. And it, it talks about them and says, their weakness was turned to strength. By who? By God. So in spite of their weakness, maybe because of their weakness, God got the glory. I saw an interview with um, Billy Graham several years ago on Larry King Live. Everybody know who Billy Graham is? Yeah. Probably the, well, not just probably, the greatest evangelist of, of the last 
what, 100 years maybe of, of, of the New Testament church. I mean, millions and millions and millions of people would come to his crusades. Now, that might not be the method effective today anymore, but, but it was in his generation. And millions of people started following Jesus as a result of his ministry. So Larry King Live asked him, why do you think God chose you to be so effective and to be such a great man of God in this generation? And you know, Billy Graham could have said, well, you know, I came up with the whole idea about crusades and uh, that proved to be pretty effective and, and our marketing machine was, uh, you know, we kicked it into high gear and people showed up and, and uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a very dynamic preacher, which if you heard him, he isn't. Um, so, so he could have come up with all these explanations of why he was so effective. You know what he said? I loved it. So he asked, why did God choose you to be so effective? And he said, that's my first question for him when I get to see him. Well, isn't that cool? He said, basically what he said is, I have no earthly idea. <laughs> if you know me, you, hadn't, you wouldn't have an idea either. You know, and his wife was actually asked one time, you know, have you ever thought about divorcing him? She said, no, just about killing him. You know, so, so he wasn't perfect, but great humility. And that's one thing why I think God chooses unlikely people in our eyes. Because when we choose, what do we look for? We look for skill, for capabilities, abilities, and that's okay to a degree. But God is much more concerned with heart than with skill. My dad was a lay pastor, and he always said this. Gott beruft nicht die Begabenen, aber er begabt die Berufenen. Does that make sense? Huh? Oh, well, this is what it says. He says, God doesn't call the gifted, he gifts the called. Isn't that good? I know where he got that from, probably the Bible or something, but God doesn't call the gifted. He gifts those that he calls. And why does he call him, them? Because of their heart. Because of a heart that's willing to say, yes, I will go. And if I remember right, several months ago, a lot of us said, here I am, send me, I will go. On our anniversary service. So that's what God is looking for. So then the question becomes, in this process, how do you know that God is calling you? If God calls you, how do you know it's God? How do you know it's not you, it's not your pride, it's not your idea of something or your vision? How do you know God calls you? And this is where it gets really tricky. Because I wish I could give you just a, a formula. Well, this is how God speaks. You know, you, you do this, you get on your knees, you pray for 10 minutes at least, and it's got to be at 4 in the morning. That's the most spiritual time to do it. And then he will clearly speak to you. What? It, it doesn't work like that. We're individuals, and God speaks to us in all kinds of different ways. When, when God called us here, and I know, I'm sorry, I'm probably going to bore you with all my illustrations about us coming to, to Salt Lake, but that's what's on my heart and what God's done in our lives most recently. So that's... That's where I'm coming from. But when God, when we first, you know, received that, that calling, we were like, God, can that be? The timing's not right. And the schooling for our kids, this can't be right. We actually told Dave, Dave, sorry, this isn't the, the right time. And then he asked us, he says, would you, would you be willing to at least pray about it and see if God might do something that doesn't seem to make sense and something that seems impossible? And so we, you know, what do you say if somebody asks, well, would you pray about it? Yeah, all right, we'll pray about it. So we prayed about it. And you know what God did for us? It, and my wife, by the way, was not excited. 
She is European through and through. And, and she said to Dave, said, uh, why would we come to the U.S.? Uh, there is so much resources in the U.S., there is nothing in Europe. And, and so you know, we were reasoning, thinking, okay, what makes sense? And he said, what do you mean? We prayed. And see what God did in our hearts. It wasn't a writing on the wall all of a sudden, go to Salt Lake City. But he did something in our hearts, and especially in hers at first. And, and that was just a peace that started to come into our hearts when she thought about it. When at first it was like, Argh! all of a sudden there was this, huh, I could imagine my heart's kind of being pulled in that direction. And when we both started feeling that, we said, okay, God, kind of like Barack, he said, okay, we'll do it if you have to speak a little more clearly here. Because this involves, you know, selling a house and moving halfway across the world and uprooting our kids. And we, we just really need to know that this is for real. And we specifically prayed for very clear speaking to us. For signs. Kind of say, God, give us signs. Show us something that only you could show us. And I'll just share one of them with you. I had made it a, a habit of just praying silently. Whenever the thought of K2 or Salt Lake came to mind, I just made it a habit, no matter where I was, just silently say, God, this is what you're doing in my heart. Please confirm it. Please confirm it. And so one time, I'm driving in the van with my son, Casey, and I was just thinking about it, and I said, hey, Casey, why don't we, why don't we pray quickly and just ask God to show us what he wants us to do. So together in the car, we pray and say, God, just show us, confirm what you're doing in our hearts. Show us if you want us to go to Salt Lake. We get to the gas station. I needed to put air in my tires. And there was another guy in front of me, and I had to wait. And I'm reading something. And all of a sudden, Casey turns and says, Daddy, look at that. And I look up, and the guy <laughs> pumping his tires turned around to us. And he was wearing one of those, those zipper sweaters. And it said Salt Lake on it. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. I am not kidding you. And this was within minutes within minutes of praying about this. And at this point, I said, okay, God, could you be a little clearer here? You know. Anyway, there's a lot more to that story, and I'd love to share that with you sometime. But God calls, and God wants to communicate. He doesn't want to play games with us. He doesn't want to play hide-and-seek. He wants to communicate to us. So that's one way. It's just a question, how do we, how do we hear that? How do we hear his voice? And before I go on, I want to bring somebody up who also has heard God's voice in a very clear way uh, about doing something very specific. And he's here from K2. It's David Fueling. Dave, why don't you come up here for a second? We just really want to make this very practical and, and show you this, is, this happens. This happens here in our midst. God calls and God speaks. And David, um, you and Lene have heard a very unique call to a very specific ministry and task. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the idea that you had and, and how that came about? Yeah, so um, just over a year ago, uh, Lenny and I were, were helping out in a high school youth group. And a good friend of ours who was actually on the video, um, Josh, was speaking about um, how the kids could get involved in, and make a difference in the world. And one of the topics he spoke about was the clean water crisis in the developing world. And um, it might seem strange, but you know, I knew there were, I knew not everybody in the world had, had the amenities that we have in the United mm -hmm. States, but I never really knew the, the depth and, and the, how, how big of a crisis 
it really was. And one of the statistics that really just broke my heart was um, about the children. Um, every year, a million and a half children under five are dying from diseases that are directly linked to a lack of clean drinking mm. water. So diarrhea, typhoid. Mm. Um, and it just, <laughs> just broke my heart. Um, part of that um, night, Josh talked about how the, how the group, uh, the kids and the adults, how if we all act on our own, um, we might not be able to accomplish very much by ourselves. Mm. But if we come together, we can really do great things. And that, that just really struck me. So on the way home, I was really convicted about this, this clean water thing, um, thinking, I, really, I need to do something about this. this. This shouldn't be that all these, not only kids, but adults, all these people are, are literally dying. So I just was trying to think of how I could make an impact, um, but also how I knew that I couldn't do anything alone there. Hmm. And how I, how I could bring more people in. And so um, I, I, the idea that came to me, we call it three for five. And it's pretty simple. It starts with an individual person. We call it a droplet. Um, that person gives $5 for clean water and invites three of their friends to do the same thing. Uh, give $5 and then invite three more of their friends. Okay. Uh, pretty simple idea, but what's really, really amazing about it is how, mu- how it scales very, very quickly. Uh, with 15, so we call it a wave, a, a friend that gets three friends to give five bucks, we call it a wave. With 15 waves of friends inviting friends for clean water, uh, you can unite a community of over 20 million people. Wow. And that would be clean water for millions more. Wow. So wow. that was kind of how that idea. Okay. So there was a vision all of a sudden that you had for this. Um, then take us on with you on the journey and how, how did you get from having this idea and vision to deciding to actually do something about it? Yeah, so I'm, I'm an, an entrepreneur. I'm an idea guy. Um, my wife calls it her curse because <laughs> I have She's millions. together with my wife. <laughs> I have millions of ideas and usually they stop there. It's, uh. hey, honey, what do you think about this idea, you know? And she'll say, oh, interesting. <laughs> and uh, we'll go on with our lives. Um, in this particular case, though, same kind of thing. I said, hey, I had this idea of how we could really make a, make a difference for clean water. And I thought, you know, she'd have that same reaction. And actually, she did. She, driving in the car, she said, oh, interesting. <laughs> and, you know, we got distracted. We were going somewhere, and, and I didn't hear much about it. Well, um, the next night... Um, sleeping, and I wake up in the middle of the night, and it's probably three in the morning, and I reach over, and Lene is not there. She's gone. It's strange. Where's, where's my wife? Yeah, that would worry me. Yeah. <laughs> and I see a light on uh, downstairs from my bedroom, and so I go downstairs, and Lene is up. Uh, lights are on. Laptop is open. Bible next to her. And I say, honey, what are you doing? <laughs> it's three in the morning. And she says, I have not been able to stop thinking about this idea, three for five. And I said, you know, basically half asleep, oh, interesting. And and then I went back to bed. Um, But so that was probably the first step where it was sort of confirmation from my partner, my my earthly partner, Lene, to say, hey, this is a good idea, but maybe this could actually 
turn into something. It was that encouragement that made me start thinking, hmm, maybe, I, maybe we should explore this a little bit more. Yeah. Um, well, what you did then, yeah. where, when did you come to the point where you thought, okay, I have to drop everything else and this is what we have to really pour into and, you know, the point of no return where you said, okay, we're going to go for this all out. Yeah, actually, you played a pretty significant role in that. You may not even know this. Um, I don't. I really don't. <laughs> so uh, we had spent a, a number of weeks thinking about the idea, talking to, to mentors and people that we respect, praying about it, and we we became pretty convinced that this is something that God wanted us to do. It certainly is in line with, with loving your neighbor and, mm. and God's will and, and whatnot. And so um, we sort of had done all that upfront research about should we do this? But then it, was, it came time to do we do this? Mm. And for me, that was really hard because it's, 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 it's one thing to have a, a good idea yeah. and, and to talk about doing it, but then to actually pull the trigger is, is an entirely different thing. Mm. And, and About a year ago, you were visiting Salt Lake, and you spoke about uh, a verse in the Bible where there, it's in Luke 17, actually. Mm. The ten lepers see Jesus from afar, and they call, cry out to him, and they say, Lord, heal us. And Jesus says, well, go show yourselves to the chief priest. And as you pointed out a year ago, the crazy thing about that is you would never go and show yourself to the chief priest as a leper. You would only go to the chief priest after you've been healed. Mm. And the Bible is very clear to say that, that all the ten lepers were healed as they went to the chief priest. And both Lynn and I came out of church that day and we said, you know, we need to, we need to take a step of faith and try this and trust that God will provide. Awesome. And that's, that's how it's worked out. Awesome. So how in, in that, I mean, it's a, it was a great idea. But a lot of people have great ideas. And you said you've had great ideas in the past. What made this one different where you thought, this isn't just my idea. This is clearly God putting this in, into my heart. How did you come to, to make that distinction? And that, what confirmed that for you? Um, I, I think that process of, of taking steps of faith to say, all right, God, well, uh, we want to start a nonprofit. Well, how, how does that work? And then praying about that, and then God always kind of provided like the very next week, you know, whether we, meeting a, an attorney who wanted to, to help us incorporate or, um, you know, finding people that, that were, um, you know, we met a doctor who, who, who knows about the health issues of, of clean water. Yeah. We, just at every step of the way, God seemed to um, answer our needs, if okay. you will. So besides an inner peace where you felt God leading you, there was also other people, in a sense, that God put in the way mm -hmm. confirming this mm -hmm. for you. And it's an interesting yeah. question because for me, I don't know that there's... It's, it's a continual process. Yeah. There, there isn't like one day necessarily where I can look back and say, God sanctions this or whatever. Yeah. But it's more like I'm trusting that if God wants this to work, He'll continue to make it work. Okay, great. So yeah. now that you've started this... Briefly, tell us about um, how have people responded around you to this? Who, you know, tell us about people that have come on board and, and support this. How, how have other people responded to you in this? And, and that's been really phenomenal. Um, everybody's been excited and enthusiastic. Like I said, we, we were able to um, assemble a great board of directors. We've got an accountant, a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher. Uh, there's a big technology component to 3 for 5. Um, just everybody's 
gotten completely excited and, and um, really rallied behind the vision of helping pe give people clean water. Awesome. Great. Yeah. And if you want to know more, 345.org? Yeah, it's the number 3, F-O-R, and the number 5.org. I signed up this morning for the newsletter, so you do the same, and let's get behind these guys. Cool. Super. Thank Thanks, you, man. Dave. So, how do we hear God's call? Well, God speaks to our hearts. He, he confirms things. And as he's just said, and we have had the same experience, that then God uses other people in the process of confirming, confirming our calling to lead and affirming um, maybe the gifts that God has, has put in place to make that happen. Um, one of the great marks, I said it earlier, of, of God-ordained leadership is that there actually is people that will be led, that people will recognize God's calling in someone's life and come behind that person and, and buy into the vision and, and follow. I found a great quote by John Maxwell, who's written lots of books about leadership, and he says this about, about people that, that feel they are leading. One day when you think you're leading, you turn around and discover that nobody is following and that you're only taking a walk. <laughs> so, well, where, where did they go? Well... If there's nobody following, that might be God saying, that's not the place. But on the other hand, he might confirm it by people coming around saying, man, Dave, that's a great idea. How can we, how, how can we come and help you make that happen? And God uses that to confirm, to confirm us. And in this story in chapter 4, God clearly calls Barak. We've seen his, his response to it. So the question is now, how do we respond to God's call? Do we say, like Barack said, yes, I will. And do we keep going like he did? But only if this. How do we respond to God's call? Basically, in this situation, in, in Judges 4, the people of Israel are crying out. There is a great need. They are oppressed and there is a great need for freedom. And God says, okay, I can't do that. But who will lead who will lead? And Barak responded to that. He said, I will. If Deborah comes with me, but I will. How do we respond? How do we respond to the needs that we see around us? I said earlier, when, when God calls a leader, it's almost always, or always, because there is a need that needs to be addressed. What needs do you see? What needs do you see here at K2? What needs do you see in the community around you? And you know what? Maybe you're the only one that sees that need. Maybe you're the one that, God's, that God opened the eyes to for this need. And maybe you are the one that God is asking, will you take the lead? If you want to see more community here, will you take the lead as a Life Together group leader? If you want to see more prayer happen here, will you take the lead? Whatever need you see, God's asking, maybe asking you today, will you take the lead in that? I've opened your eyes to this need. I've given you a passion for that. Will you lead? What's your response? What's your response to that? Barak said, I will go. And he went back home, and do you know what happened? 10,000 people followed him. 
It says in verse 10, 10,000 men followed him and Deborah also went with him. He went back and said, guys, this is what God's told me to do. This is what he wants us to do. Are you with me? And 10,000 men rose up, 10,000 warriors who were ready to give their life to follow Barak in what God had called him to do. That's affirmation, wouldn't you think? And that's willingness to follow. The verse that I started out with, Judges 5 verse 2. When Israel's leaders take charge and Barak took charge. And then I love the second part. And the people gladly follow. Bless the Lord or praise the Lord. See, I think, I've, well, I don't think. I have seen in the last 10, 15 years in in our Christian circles in the Western world, that leadership has almost become something to be worshipped in itself. Everything is about leadership. Leadership this and leadership that and leadership this. When, when I was on staff with Athletes in Action in Europe, we had yearly European all-staff meetings. So all of the European AIA staff came together and it was always called the European Leadership Conference. And I was always thinking, huh, what about the person that isn't a leader, you know, a go-getter, a visionary that gathers people around a vision and motivates them and, and leads them on. And yes, this morning is about leadership and we need people to step up. But you know, if we don't have anybody willing to follow those leaders, we won't have leaders. And not everybody is an upfront leader and not everybody is called to lead. And you know what? That's Okay. That is okay. It honors God when leaders step up to the plate that they are called to and take charge and lead, following Jesus in the process. But it also honors God for people to fall in behind them and support them and encourage them and follow. That honors God. Praise the Lord, it says. And so if you don't feel that call to lead, if God hasn't given you a specific specific vision for something then let him give you a vision for where to follow and where to fall in and say yes we're with you and we'll support you and we'll encourage you in that and I'm convinced that every effective leader of people has to first know how to be an effective follower only a great follower can become a good leader and even every leader, every person in leadership position, if you're on the top of the chain, you still have to follow Jesus. And you have to know how to do that effectively to become an effective leader of people. So if you're not called to active leadership at the moment, and that might change, but if you're not, then pray about it. See God how you can support and encourage those that he has called to lead. And ask him to show you where are you to follow. What area are you to invest in? Like these 10 men willing to give their lives for it. Where are you going to invest your life in following? So 10,000 were willing to risk their lives because they recognized God's call on Barak's life. They didn't go because they thought Barak was a cool dude and, you know, hey, let's go fight. No, they, they recognized that God had called them and they were willing to follow. And you know what? Barak couldn't have done anything without them. Again, a leader is nothing without people willing to follow. So what happens when the leader steps up, receives the call from God, responds 
in obedience and by faith response to steps up to the plate, people will follow. They will recognize God's calling. They will follow. And then what happens? And then God goes to work. It's not the leader. Remember earlier? It's God's responsibility. And that's what we see here then in in chapter 4 in verses 14 through 16. Then Deborah said to Barak, so they're up on Mount Tabor, and, and the army they're fighting is down in the valley. So they're really in a pretty safe spot, a great strategic spot to just kind of drop some things on them and stuff. But Deborah says, now go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera, who was the commander of the army, into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? And so we don't read it here in this passage, but in chapter 5 in the song that they're singing, Deborah and Barak sing about God flooding that valley. And so this is how he dealt with the 900 iron chariots. He flooded the valley because there was a river. He flooded it and they got stuck and could do nothing. All their power was worth nothing because God had shown up. So has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as... Herosheth, and another crazy name. And all the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. So it gets pretty gory here later on. But the beauty is here, when, when the leaders take charge, people recognize God's calling, they follow, and then God goes to work. See, it doesn't say Barak and the 10,000 men won a mighty victory. They said, the Lord has given him into your hands. The Lord has gone ahead of you. The Lord routed Sisera. It's God's doing. Not Barak's, not the 10,000 men. It was God's doing. But he used Barak and the 10,000 that were willing to follow in the process. So when, when we respond to, respond to God's call to leadership, when he says, who will lead? And we feel the call and we said, I will. People will follow and God will do amazing things. And we will have the privilege and blessing of being a part of that and experiencing God at work. Then I love how this song, you should actually read this today. If you have time, read chapter 4 and then chapter 5, the song of praise that Deborah and Barak sing. They close their song of praise in chapter 5 with this, and I love it. Verse 31, O Lord, but may they who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. And then the land had peace for 40 years. Don't you love that picture? May those who love you be like the sun when it rises in all its strength. The first few months after we got here and we were remodeling our house, we stayed with, with Vince and Fran. Are they here? You here this morning? The Collins? They live up on the benches. And every morning, I would get up and go over to the balcony overlooking the valley. And when the sun would come up over the, over the Wasatch in the east... And it would start to peek over the top and it would shine on the mountains here on the west side. It was just the most beautiful and glorious. Set. I mean, have you experienced, it's, it's almost a spiritual moment to, to experience a sunset in all its glory. Have you experienced that? Oh, that's what we're described to. If we love the Lord and follow his lead and step up when he calls us, it's like the sun rising in all its strength. And then they close the song saying, Then the land had peace for 40 years. 
And you see, that is the ultimate result of following God's call. Now, he might call us and lead us into battle. It might not always be pretty. And it might be difficult and tough and people might fall left and right. But if we're doing what God has called us to do, the ultimate result will be God's peace. The ultimate result will be God's peace. So, so who is going to take the lead? Who's taking the lead? What need has God put on your heart for this community or outside of this community? What need has God impressed on your heart? What need has He given you eyes for? And you know, sometimes when we see something, we think, Man, doesn't anybody else see this? Why isn't anybody doing anything about it? Well, maybe God has opened your eyes for it and He wants you to do something about it. What has He given you vision for? Is He asking you this morning? Who will lead? And then maybe He's not asking you to lead. Maybe He's asking you to be one who honors Him by falling right in behind. Say, yes, I'm behind you. Let's do it together. I'll support and I encourage you. So this is what I would love for you to do as a result of this morning. Is would you pray? If God has given you a passion and eyes for a need, would you say, God, are you asking me to lead in this? And then how do you respond to that? And if you don't feel that passion and don't see that specific need, will you pray and say, God, where do you want me to follow at K2? Where can I become a warrior that's willing to to invest his life or her life in the kingdom. When leaders take the lead and the people willingly offer themselves, praise God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, so often I know I feel so utterly inadequate and yet you've called me to lead oh lord what a humbling experience and what a privilege and lord what freedom comes from the knowledge that we know that you are the one that's going to accomplish whatever you want to accomplish but your word is so clear and, and history shows us that you want to use people you give people gifts and passions and you want to you want to use them So I pray that we would truly seek your face today and in the days to come about what passions have you laid in our hearts? What visions have you given us? And are you calling us to lead, Lord? And I pray that we would respond by saying, yes, Lord, I will. When you ask, will you lead, that we would say, yes, I will. And if you say, I want you to follow. I want you to support here. I want you to serve here and that we would also say, yes, I will. And just that we know that that honors you just as much. But we do need leaders, Lord. We need people to step up and take ownership and lead. And we just pray, Lord, that you would show who that is, that you would call us, and that we would follow. Praise be to you, Lord. Amen.